these people um, had a look at the house and uh, and and they offered us because uh, they'd been knocked back for a, they'd lost out on a couple of other offers that they'd put in wow. recently because there is that heat in the in, in the Hobart market and it was still going on at at, at that point. Um, so they offered in uh, 830, and oh. uh, and so we didn't without even thinking about it, we just said yes. Yeah. So we didn't counter offer or anything like that because. Um, you know, our view was like, well, we were happy to get 800. We we were adding on the rent for a year. Yeah. And it's like, if someone's offering us more than that, well, it's yeah. like, you know, we're happy. You know, yeah. if that means that we, you know, we've won, as you said. And like, and if they feel like they've won um, yeah. at that price, yeah. uh, that, you know, why, why, why try to, why, why get greedy? You're listening to Property Investor Tales, stories from the front yard. Here's your host, Tabitha Bright. Welcome to Property Investor Tales, stories from the front yard, where I get to speak to property investors from around Australia about their investing journey. My name's Tabitha Bright, and I'm the head of coaching here at Positive Real Estate, where we help people build wealth through property. With over 8,000 clients across Australia and New Zealand, there are some incredible stories to tell, which hopefully make your investing journey that little bit easier and will inspire you along the way. So my guest today is Andrew Goldsworthy, and we discuss his experience with with Gold Coast units in the 90s. Yes, think white shoes, gold chains, being flown up on a jet, all that stuff. How he then negotiated his home in a hot market by finding opportunity in other people's problems and some stage advice for his younger self. So enjoy this conversation with Andrew. Hey, everybody, and welcome to today's podcast. Uh, Today, I'm very lucky to have Andrew with me. And Andrew's been a client of Positive Real Estate for about four years since uh, 2018. We were just having a bit of a chat before. Um, so Andrew, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Tabitha. <laughs> uh, well, glad you're here and thank you for doing it. I um, Often I have a, um, when I go to um, put people into the podcast, uh, it can be hard to get them locked down into times. And I, you and I just managed to find a time this afternoon that worked for both of us. So it was really nice to have have uh, have you jump in there. So thank you. Um, yeah, the, joys and, of, uh, the, the joys of the uh, joys of isolation from COVID and not, oh. not being allowed to go anywhere else anywhere. Anyway, <laughs> you poor man. Um, well, I've, I'm benefiting from it, so thank you. But um, I do hope, and I'm sure Positive Real Estate, hope you get better in a fighting fit very quickly. Um, and so you and I were just talking a little bit about your journey because you've actually been investing a lot longer than you have been with Positive Real Estate. And one of the very first properties you bought was back in the 90s. And... We um, we often talk about you know the the whole Gold Coast um, buying kind of vibe there was back in those days where you got flown up and there was the you know the slick people with the white shoes and the gold chains and they um, <laughs> wined and dined you. Now that wasn't exactly your experience, but it wasn't that dissimilar. Share for me what happened. Yeah, so I suppose uh, I was working in Sydney at the time and um, through our 
work site, there was a, the, a bloke there who wanted to do the right thing for some of the, the, the younger people in the workplace. And uh, he, he brought this group in to give a presentation on property and property investing and the benefits and, and all the, those sorts of things. And a lot of it was, um, you know, some of the things that you know, even PRE talks about in terms of the benefits and, and why, why property investing as, as opposed to other sorts of investments. Um, but there was a, I guess, the, the catch at the other end was this sales sales hook. It was a sales hook to, to kind of um, then sell a particular um, property development. Um, and so the idea was that, you know, if, they, if you put down a couple of thousand dollars now, we'll fly you up and, um, you know, show you around and, and do all that sort of thing. And, and then if, um, you know, if you wanted to go ahead with the property investment, then the $2,000 would then form part of your deposit. Uh, but if you chose not to, then they'd take all their costs out of that money that you just spent. So either way, your money was gone um, once, you, once you signed up. Um, but, you know, we, I guess we were interested in, in looking for, well, I suppose it was just before I was married, so it was probably mostly my decision, but um, <laughs> my future wife did come with me at the time. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we look, I've signed up and um, they flew me up to Queensland and we spent the day driving around and having a look at uh, other types of developments and, and looking at this development and other developments that that, that were similar to the one that we were looking to buy into. Um, and there were a lot of things, I suppose, that were attractive about it. Um, you know, I was saying earlier that, that the idea that it was a secure site, so it had gated entry. Uh, we're talking back in the 90s. Electronic access and uh, there was a, a swimming pool inside the site and a barbecue area. And it was a, they were really selling that resort lifestyle sort of of approach um, and so trying to make it a, a place to live you know we so didn't have to go anywhere outside of a gated area almost and um, and and so you know there were a lot of things that we liked about that and um, you know, coming from Sydney it sounded dirt cheap and uh, uh, you know it was in the whole experience and they you know they helped us through the whole experience and that that all went really smoothly um, hmm. but uh, and, and rendered out okay but in the long term, it was, uh, I suppose, a complete disaster for us. Um, uh, not sure how much of the story you want to tell in one hit. But, um, <laughs> People uh, want all the juice. So how much did you pay for it? Uh, yep, the whole uh, kit right, and caboodle, well, if you're happy to share. <laughs> yeah, well, so it was a three-bedroom, um, two-bathroom, I think, with a, with a garage-type townhouse. Very, very traditional or very, very standard uh Queensland type townhouse development and you'd probably yep. still recognize they're still building that style in Queensland today I reckon uh, <laughs> you know, they, they haven't changed too much up there um, I think we paid just under 116,000 for it um, I don't remember the rent on it but the rental return was in the order of four four and a half percent at the time so you know it was reasonable and and we didn't have any trouble with renting it and you know all of that sort of thing went really well um, our problem was that, uh, you know, that almost from the time we bought it, the first time we put in our tax return, our accountant was saying, uh, you're not going to make any money out of this because you've paid too much for it. Um, and so uh, you'll never recover um, the value out of the house the longer you have it and more money that you put into it, essentially, keeping it running. 
um, you'll never you'll never get ahead of the curve again. Mm. So you'll always be behind the eight ball in terms of how much we're pumping into it and how much it's uh, it's going to uh, grow. Uh, and I think uh, you know we're saying this before too now even how it's we're talking uh, thirty nearly thirty years later. Um, yes. And uh, and you know it's only worth now around maybe about two hundred and forty thousand um, dollars. Right. So yeah, but with all the money that we would have paid, we that wouldn't have we would never have broken even. I think it, the counter was right. Um, yeah. But even then, once we started the process of trying to sell it, you know, um, real estate agents weren't interested in taking it on. Um, you know, that was that was how poor the market was for where wow. we bought. So. It's because of the area that we were in. Um, mm. So, uh, yeah, it was, you know, it, it was a traumatic experience then, you know, just because we could then couldn't get out of it. And we just kind of felt like we were pumping, you know, bad, you know good money after bad sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and uh, eventually there was a, I think there was a bloke going around trying to buy up all of these little places in, in this development and, and oh, in a number of others. And, yeah. And came along and offered us uh, $85,000 to um, take it off our hands. And uh, we went, well, you know, given that we couldn't even find a real estate agent for the first couple of years to take it on. Um, and then when we had, they hadn't been able to find anyone to want to buy it. Um, we went, well, this is the only person in, in, you know, three or four years that's even had an interest in buying it. So we went, yes. Right. <laughs> um, and then sold it and then had to come up with another $35,000 to get out of it um, of our own money on top of what the sale price. What you'd already paid. Yeah, mm. to get out of the loans and, and everything else. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so uh, I guess from our perspective, that was, uh, you know, we burnt our fingers a bit on that. And, I bet. Yeah, yeah. And, and having three young kids at the time, or two young kids at the time, it uh, wasn't really money we could afford to throw away. But Right. Uh, we just felt that was a better option than you know, yeah than continuing I, I always remember um uh i used to get coaching i'm a big fan of of coaching i mean obviously you you get coaching um and there was the fellow that i was getting coaching with at the time he said to me when it comes to hard decisions you've got to decide if you know you're on the wrong train why wait till the end of the line to get off you get off at the next stop now that's not always true but sometimes rather than just hanging on for dear life and you know incurring more and more and more costs you are better just to um to cut your losses and get out of it and live to fight another day and it sounds like you know that's what you guys did I mean 30 years to double in values a, a long time so obviously at the time and I've fallen for this trap too, actually, where I've been buying in another market that I wasn't as familiar with. And like yourself, I think it was only my second property purchase. And it was a market that had really high yields because it was a student town. It was a student market. So it had um, unusually high yields. And so I paid too much for a property because it was cheap compared to Melbourne. And because the yields were high, so I thought I must be getting a good deal. I was getting um, a 
think I was getting like a 7% yield. But what I didn't realize was, was the standard for that market in that area was 10%. So I was overpaying. And then I paid too much because I think I paid 200 grand for it or something. And things were double, triple here in Melbourne. And I thought 200 grand, that's, you know, it's nothing like, uh, not nothing, but it's, minor compared to what we pay over here. It must be good value. And I had exactly the same problem where um, my yield was tighter and as interest rates rose because it was a rising market, much like um, the 90s. And, um, and I suddenly found myself in a position where it wasn't the performing asset that I thought it was because I didn't I just didn't understand everything I needed to know. I did some due diligence. I, I did research, obviously, but I just didn't understand everything I needed to know. And I think, you know, it, these things teach us some really good lessons. And I'm sure you won't, won't make that mistake again. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess that was uh, I'm sort of jumping down to the other end of, the, yeah. of our timeline. But um, the one of the things that, that really brought us to PRE and, and, you know, apart from needing some, you know, uh, some help uh, or, or some, some trusted advice, if you like, or, yeah. or trusted methodology was that that was that whole question as well, is that like, how do you, we were sitting in Hobart at the time and, um, you know, how, how do you buy a property um, in a completely different market that you have no familiarity with? So we'd been in Hobart yeah. for, what, you know, at least 15 years. Um, and so we had, we, we felt we had a really fairly good understanding of the Hobart market and, and where not to buy yeah. um, down there. Um, but like, how do you, how do you do that in a different state? How, just the physical arrangements of how do you find a property? How do you, you know, um, get through the, the, the purchase process and, and the, the renting process and, you know, all of that sort of thing. And how do you manage a property um, when, you know, you can't go anywhere near it and, and, yeah. and you're not familiar with the market and you don't know what's going on up there. And it was like, you know, and that was, that was the quandary we were in. Um, and I suppose yeah. just for the context of that one, by then we had uh, two investment properties in Hobart um, and we were looking to, to you know, what, make that next thing. You know, we wanted to buy another one. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, I mean, we two problems we had at that point. One was, one, I knew I wanted to diversify the marketplace we were in. I knew that before I'd even talked to PRE, I, I knew that. Yeah. I do have a bit of an, a share investing background and, you know, that's one of the principles in there. And yeah. um, uh, but how do we access the equity? Um, you know, where do we get the equity from to buy that next place? Because we were kind of, you know, stuck at that, you know, having two and, 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 our, and our principal place of residence. And it was kind mm. of like, well, where did the next chunk of money come from in order to buy that, to pay the deposit on the, that next property? And it's, so there was all oh, those kind of, sorts of challenges that um, is kind of is, is partly essentially the pathway that that drove us towards uh, PRE. Yeah and that's another interesting point you bring up because often like one of the first things we work out when we're working with clients is what what is the number that you want to retire on so if you think about your goals you think about what you want retirement to look like for you. I mean, I've had some clients where it's been 60 grand. That's all they want in retirement. They're happy with that because, you know, they might be um, single, they might live really simply, they might be into, um, I don't know, sustainability or, and they backpack around the world. That's all they want to do. And then I've had other clients that 
um, you know, they want to retire on 200K or something, you know, a, a, a bigger goal. And, and so we take that number and then we work out how many properties that is. And for most clients, it's that, um, it's that four to five to six properties that people need in the market working for them. And so if you're only buying in Hobart or um, New Zealand, where I was buying at the time or wherever it might be, you're subject to that market's whole cycle. <laughs> so it takes you that much longer to be able to get equity out because when Hobart's flat, like how long was Hobart flat for? It had a really good run and then it was flat for quite a while. Yeah, yeah look, uh, again, our experience down there. So, you know, it, it goes in spits and starts. So Hobart's yeah. very much like that. Like it just, it seems to have these little spurts where it does take off for a bit and then, but then it's just flat for like, you know, it can be eight, nine years where it yeah. just doesn't go anywhere. Uh, yeah. And then all of a sudden there'll be this spurt again and it's like you, know, yeah. you, you just can't keep up with it all of a sudden. Um, and then uh, and then it'll just be flat again. And yeah. Um, although I suppose uh, we're probably going to a flat spot now, but um, you know, yeah. we've probably had an extended spurt in Hobart mm. down there recently, um, yeah. a bit longer than normal. But yeah, it yeah. definitely has this sprint and drift type, you know, um, uh, shape that, to the market down there, yeah. 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 So when it's flat for those 10 years and your property's not going up in value, even renovating can be a challenge because you're, you're putting money into a flat market. It's best always renovate in a rising market, of course. Um, and, um, and so then you're stuck for 10 years, not being able to get equity out and you're having to save every deposit. Uh, and so it slows your journey right down. And this is where diversification is such a key principle to being able to keep um, moving and keep investing. Because if it takes you 10 years every time you buy a, pro a property um, and you need six of them, that's going to be a very long journey. Uh, and so um, diversification is key. So that's an awesome lesson. Um, and all righty. So I'm just having a look at your notes here. So tell me, tell me a little bit. I'm going to jump um to the present tell me a little bit about the story of your principal place of residence um yeah so uh we we had a well our principal place of residence journey in in um hobart i suppose when we, when yeah. we moved down there and um, because we we moved down there and, and started up a business um a small business down there and then and then went out and bought a house to live in and uh between the time, because we've been living in Canberra before that, um, mm. and uh, when we did all the research around the business and moving to Hobart and and, and all the rest of it, we, we had a look at how much capital we had and how much we we're going to need for a house and how much we needed for the business and all that sort of, you know, planning work. And uh, in the space of time that it took us, it took us probably just under a year to, to get through all of that and to move to Hobart. And uh, by the time we moved to Hobart and set up the business and then went looking for a house, Hobart had had one of those little spurts. <laughs> um, <laughs> so where we were expecting to buy, you know, because we had uh, three kids by then. And oh. um, so where we were expecting to buy a, um, a, a four bedroom house, you know, just, you know, it's not a huge place, but just a small three bedroom, uh, four bedroom house in, in Hobart, uh, um, you know, for under $100,000. 
Um, by the time we got down there, we ended up in a very old, very uh, very small three bedroom house, um, uh, you know, at nearly twice that price. And it was like, uh, you know, we, we kind of fundamentally just didn't have enough money to buy the house we needed. So we, I mean, we had no choice. We had, and I remember when the furniture moved, this is near looking funny stories, but they were, the furniture moved, we'd moved from a, a large four bedroom house in Canberra down to this tiny little three bedroom house, weatherboard house in Hobart. And the furniture movers were coming out and saying, you know, oh, this is for the uh, family room, which, uh, where do you want us to put that? And it's kind of like, oh, we don't have a family room in this house. Um, just put it in the garage or the carport even. Oh. It wasn't a garage. Just put it in the carport. And then they kept bringing this furniture out. I mean, we filled the house up and they kept bringing this furniture out. And uh, my wife was, uh, I was actually at the business and um, my wife was at home doing the removal. And she said, you know, just throw it in the front yard. <laughs> You know, we, half the truck ended up in the front yard and then there's a couple of removals sitting there going, you know, oh, um, do you want that lounge? Just like, you know, my wife said, no, no, you can take it if you want, like, because we're <laughs> going to take it away. It was like, you know, no, have it, take it. We can't do anything with it. Um, so, yeah, we ended up in this oh. tiny little house that was not really suitable to us at the time. Um, and, uh, but we, we, did what we could to to renovate that and, and make that it was a little old lady's house that had, she'd lived in it for you know decades and um, she had a really nice garden and um and, but just had never done anything to the house it had the the same carpet that it was built with in the 40s and you know the the whole lot so it was, um so we uh-huh. pulled up carpet polished floorboards put down tiles threw paint around everywhere and um, so we did what we did could do to to update it as much as possible, you know, without going into too much because we didn't have a lot of money because we were, you know, trying to run our own business. Yes. Um, and uh, yeah, so we, we we basically built that up to the point where we could actually sell it at a reasonable profit to get ourselves into another house. And anyway, we ended up in a in a house that suited our needs because. Um, we could actually give the boys who were starting to get into late primary school and who really needed their own rooms, um, who have been sharing this tiny little house. And um, so we, we ended up in a house in, in, in a little bit further out in the northern suburbs of, of Hobart. But in order to get into that, we basically bought a building site. So it was a house that another couple had, had chosen to build, um, but had they'd separated before they moved into the house. So we were the first ones to live in this house, but it was still a building site. So there was weeds up to your uh, armpits outside and uh, there were no fences and there was no yard and there was, you know, there was a lot of work to do. Uh, but it was that because of that, this house had failed to sell. You know, people were not a, not looking to buy it because of the work that was still involved in it. Right. So that gave us the opportunity. That was our opportunity because we didn't, we couldn't, if it had been finished and, and done in that area, we, there's no way we could have afforded a house in that area. Um, but it was only because it, of the condition it was in that we could afford it in that area. And um, so, yeah, so we, we did that. And again, we did the whole thing. We finished it off. We put the lawns and the sheds and you know, the fences up. And we had to put retaining walls in and, and everything else because I don't know if you know Hobart very well, but everything's on the side of a hill. Um, yep, yep. Uh, I'm and a Kiwi. Have... <laughs> <laughs> I've um, been to Hobart. It's beautiful. Yeah, and and the 
this house had been built a little bit like a mainland style. It was on a slab on the ground, uh, which is a bit unusual in Hobart. And so there was all these mountainous edges to the, the block of land. And so, yeah, we put a lot of money and effort into, um, you know, over the course of 15 years uh, or 18 years, I think, in the end, um, uh, like finishing the house off and, and bringing it up to date eventually and, and to be able to sell it. Um, and so we put a lot of effort into how it was presented online, you know, because by then we'd, you know, we'd been with PRE and um, kind of had interacted with, so there was a real estate agent that's a, a member down there as well. And and she'd actually written a book about staging your house and, and all ah, the rest of it. So we'd, we'd worked with her on a couple yeah. of other properties. And um, uh, so we went through that whole process and, you know, we talked a lot about how we're going to present this house and um, because it had some challenges in terms of the way real estate agents normally photograph the house and present it. Um, uh, that leads, I've always, I always felt that it led to a perception of people thought it was a really small house and it was actually a really large house. Right. I said, because it was dug down into the, into the block and put on a slab, um, the footpath was higher than the house. The people oh. walking past it just thought it was a tiny house. And oh, it wasn't until they walked they in. They couldn't see they the rest of it. Oh. Yeah. So we we worked a lot on how to actually present that. And so, um, you know, I, I fundamentally was really happy with how it came up in the end. Um, mm. And uh, and although the, the, the market, um, you know, it was still still running away a little bit, but it was, uh, we, we could, it's kind of feel that there was it was slowing down like it was yeah. definitely um, there was less heat in the market than what there had been so which is why we chosen to sell now and that was through again through the advice of, of the real estate agent mm -hmm. and uh, working with PRE and some of the advice that we were getting through Carolyn yep. um, you know we we worked out that now was the right time to sell because we've bought uh, you know, as part of our plan now, the kids are all growing up and all the rest of it. Uh, one of the goals that we'd set with PRE initially was that uh, we wanted to have this apartment in town in in, in the centre of Hobart. And so, um, you know, there's a, a, a longer story about how we, how we came into our apartment, but there's a we, we ended up buying a, an apartment in town off the plan. Ah, oh, yep. Um, and and so that's currently under construction. Um, that's exciting. But, Oh, it is. You know, we, we we don't go down there very often. Um, you know, like only only every time we go near the place, we sort of want to pass. Um, but uh, yeah, but that won't be finished until at least February next year. Um, but wow. as I say we've we've chosen to sell the our previous uh, PPR uh, now because that was the right time to capture that the value the market. In, in the, yeah in the, and get a you know to be able to sell it quickly and to be able to sell it at, at a, a you know the highest maximum price we could get um, which makes sense which makes total sense and once again there's a couple of key lessons in here I'm, I'm listening for the lessons and the stories you're telling and when it when you go back to how you secured that original property that had you know the grass up to your armpits and everything that's that classic other people's problems so opportunity is always hidden in somebody else's problem um and um and you were able to obviously get it for a decent price you didn't have as much competition because people were put off by it 
Um, and so fantastic. So if you're ever sort of out there in the market and you're looking for a deal, look for the problem. Often, even things like, I'm not advocating you go out and you buy properties with termites and asbestos, but sometimes when you understand how much it costs to fix something like that, it can be straightforward, but it puts people off um, and they'll avoid um, they'll avoid doing it. One of the tricks I used to use was I'd get a quote on um, what it would cost to um, to rectify it. Then I'd double that, and then I'd take that off my offer price. Now that works when it's not a hot market or a runaway market, um, but it's a great way of of getting a, a meaningful reduction, and you can justify it when you talk to the agent. Um, so good job on that. And you also mentioned that that got divorced, and um, and you hear Sam Saggers. He's he talks about the six D's. If you're going to get a deal, you need one of the six D's. I think it's divorce, um, death. Now I can. Oh, this isn't good, is it? I can only remember two. <laughs> the bank. <laughs> there's um. I, I know there's six of them. I'm pretty sure. I can't think of the others, but um. <laughs> put myself under pressure. But um, yeah, the six Ds is the other thing that um, Sam um, Sam talks about. So keep an eye out for that on this podcast. I'm sure he's got it as part of his podcast. Seeing I failed that bit miserably. Um, yeah, we obviously didn't know that, you know, when we were when we were making the offer. But uh, you know, but had we known that, your gut. yeah, well, <laughs> but, you know, they they because we had been watching this property for quite a while, and like when they first put it on the market, they advertised it as a five bedroom house. Yeah. Um, it was never a five-bedroom house, but they advertised it as a five-bedroom house. Oh, so they um, stuffed that up as well. Well, not that they stuffed it up. They were just being creative. You know, real estate agents, some real estate agents are very creative about their, uh, their you know, the, how they describe See? a property. And there was one room was at the front door, had two sliding doors, was opposite the, the front lounge room. And I would have called it at most a dining room. And we used it as a study. Um, mm. But it was tiny. It was, wasn't... you. You, know, you might be you'd be able to fit a bed in there just, but it was you know on the scale of the house it was and even the other bedrooms it was tiny and it was not wouldn't have worked as a bedroom just you know because you had two sliding doors and you're at the, the front front door and like you know the so you know we initially I can't remember the exact prices but they it was way more than you know so we say so we ended up buying it for three hundred fifty five thousand dollars so just. So it must have been advertised that uh, offers somewhere over $400,000 when it was first wow. advertised as a five-bedroom house. Yeah. Anyway, it had been there for months and it sort of like disappeared all of a sudden. And then, then you know, a month later, it had reappeared under a different real estate agent. Wow. And it was kind of like, you know, and it was now offers, you know, over three ninety five or something. Like they'd come <laughs> down a big chunk of money. And, um, you know, we were watching it and, and all the rest of it. And, and we we decided that we we were going to be happy to pay about three hundred and sixty for this house, and so and that you know I, I I figured that well if that's where we wanted to end it up end up at we couldn't start our offer at three hundred and sixty because of course Very wise. Know, we were well below what they were asking for so they were obviously going to come back and you know bid us up somewhere, um, yeah. so I went you know oh well we, we'll offer three hundred and fifty five anyway the real estate agent went off and he came back and said, yeah, they'll take it. And it's like, oh, really? 
um, so it was kind of, and, and it, I say they, they divorced. One of them was living, you know, on the west coast of Tasmania somewhere. One of them was living in town somewhere, and they just wanted to be rid of it, and and because yeah. they wanted to get, they they still had a, a you know joint home loan on it, and you know they just wanted uh, to completely separate and and get rid yeah. of all of this stuff for themselves yeah and so you know maybe we could have offered another 15 grand less or something oh like that. that's the that's the bit <laughs> you always wonder but you got you, you know you got a really good price and a, a great negotiation is a win-win so you know you got a great price you got less than what you were hope you know what you were prepared to pay for it um i always remember there were two things i learned about negotiating once when i was out doing some deals I remember somebody saying to me, um, if you really want to see the whites of their eyes and, the, and they do need to sell, like it is something like a divorce, you can go up in price. So when the agent comes back, um, uh, sorry, down in price. So when the agent comes back to you and says, oh, uh, they want 360, just go, oh, no, I'm looking at another deal now. I'll, I'll offer 350 not 355 my 355's off the off the table and it totally freaks them out I tried it I was never successful with it I'm not <laughs> vouching for it <laughs> well, we, a had a, we, we had a bloke like that when so we were selling one we had a couple of investment properties in in Tabart as I said and, and when we were selling one of them uh, we had a bloke who uh, made us an offer he, he, from Adelaide, I think it was, and um, for one of the houses. It was like fifty or sixty thousand dollars under what we were asking for, and um, this was in a time where where we knew that there was there were, this was during another spurt in the Hobart market, and we knew that yeah. that, that you know prices were going up, and um, the. He came back and offered, and he even wrote it and faxed through uh, a written offer, you know, forty or fifty thousand dollars under what we were asking for. And he tried; he was trying to convince us. He was telling you, "Oh, I own two or three more properties in this area, and I've been researching this area for years, and like, you know, I know what's what it's worth, and it's worth not worth anywhere near what you're asking for." And and we're sitting there going, "No, we're we're not going to have any trouble selling this at all." And uh, a real estate agent was saying, "You know, no, look, this won't." This won't take long to sell at all, and uh, and it sold in three days, um, huh. and at, uh, well over what we were asking for. So this bloke was just—he was just having a go. Yeah, <laughs> we. Um... Hang on, text me. <coughs> oh, you poor man. Um, we were um we were taught a lot of negotiating skills like that when uh, back in the early days of learning to invest. Um, I remember putting an offer out to every single property that one agent had on his books and I just did a rudimentary 20 or 30 percent below what he was asking because you just never know who you'll jag and it was just a numbers game I just you just, I just spend um because I was investing full-time at that point my hubby had the business so he was supporting us and I was just doing the investing and um you know you got some <laughs> that that particular agent I can still remember his name I won't say it on the podcast but he told me not to show my face in this particular regional town in Victoria so I've never been game enough to go there I'm sure he's forgotten by now um, but yeah it's it's funny a lot of these ideas around negotiating they're very old school and um, and it's that kind of vibe that wolf of wall street kind of vibe whereas i gel far more with that idea that negotiating is win-win if you can both 
get something from it and both be happy walking away. I think that's a real gain. Um, and, and I guess that story works for our, the sale of our most recent house as well. And that, yeah. uh, you know, we uh, going into it, um, I reckon that, uh, you know, it, we, we probably we probably get about 800,000 for it. But because we knew that we were selling about a year ahead of when we were going to be able to, you know, get into our, our, our apartment in town, um, I thought, well, I need we, we need the rent as well. So I added twenty five thousand dollars onto the price when we when we listed it, mm. and I was upfront with the agent about that as well. You know, yeah. and, uh, because it, you say when there's a bit of a spurt in the market, it is hard to, to price a property. You don't know what you're going to get for it. Yeah, and um, the you know, so we listed it at offers over eight twenty five. Um, you know, thinking that, you know, that's really going to push, you know, that was, it was a high price for that area. Um, and we thought, you know, this is really going to, you know, being prepared to come back, you know, I was happy to land at 800, right, at the end of the day. And because um, that's what I thought the house was basically worth. And, uh, you know, the, these people um, had a look at the house and, uh, and, and they offered us, because uh, they'd been knocked back for a They'd lost out on a couple of other offers that they'd put in um, recently because there is that heat in the in, in the payback market and it was still going on at, at, at that point. Um, so they offered in uh, eight hundred and thirty, uh, and and so we didn't without even thinking about it, we just said yes. Yeah. So we didn't counter offer or anything like that because um, you know our view was like well we were happy to get eight hundred. We we were adding on the rent for a year. Yeah. And it's like if someone's offering us more than that. Well, it's yeah. like, you know, we're happy. You know, yeah. if that means that we, you know, we've won, as you said. And like, you know, if they feel like they've won um, yeah. at that price, yeah. uh, you know, why, why, why try to, why, why get greedy? Is, yeah. Is... Yeah. No, very nice. A ni nice way to um, view it. And I, and I think it, it leaves a nice feeling for everybody in the deal. Um, I mean, you know, we all get competitive. We all like to win, but it is nice when everybody's got a got a stake in it. I, th I think that's awesome. Um, and so for um, the classic podcast question that I ask everyone, Andrew, and uh, you won't be <laughs> you won't be the exception. Um, but the last question for the day is: um, so if you could go back in time, go back in time, and see young Andrew, what? advice would you have for young Andrew reinvesting in life in general? Um, it definitely is that piece around trusted advice like it's um, you know and especially if it's you know I say the trusted bit is, is, is the tricky bit to understand um, yeah. you know that can be the tricky bit to, to work out but it's mm -hmm. like a, you've got to have some criteria around um, you know what that that looks like um, yep. and you know for me it was a little bit of independence in terms of the, um, uh, the you know, who's giving you that advice. Um, and I, I do that now with my share investing as well. So I, I do the same thing there. Um, and you've got to understand what the motivation of those people giving you advice. And, and yeah. it's really something that you need to consider because I think I definitely didn't consider that in our first, um, mm. you know, investment journey. Um but it's asking yourself that question is that what, what does the people that's providing this advice, what are they getting out of it? What's and really stake? trying to understand, um, yep. you know, what their motivation is in, in yep. the advice that they're giving you. 
and that's uh, and that's that can be really tricky and that can be really tough but you've mm. at least got to ask yourself that question mm. now that's really sage advice and i i did have somebody say that someone trusting say, trusted to me um say that to me once they said to me tab everybody's got what was the word they used wasn't like an ulterior motive but it was but it was like everyone's got a stake in it I can't remember what the word was um and they said you've you've got to make a decision that you are comfortable with understanding everybody's stake and as long as everyone's up front about what that stake is then you can weigh it up and make a quality decision um, but that's um, particularly sage advice. I haven't had anyone mention that. Um, so thank you. Good, good advice. Anything else before we wrap it up and um, finish up? No, not really. I mean, you know, I just want to thank, um, you know, the, the, the help that Carolyn has given us uh, over the journey. And, um, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, she's unwound, uh, you know, the mess that we were in and, and say, mm -hmm. we, we genuinely wouldn't be uh you know looking at getting to you know achieving some of our goals the way that we are without uh, without her help and, and without the help of uh pre and the, and the team that we've been able to put together so that um you yeah, know we really appreciate the journey that we've been on oh thank you andrew i know that'll mean a lot to um to carolyn and the team do love to hear it so thank you um i know carolyn <laughs> she's been coaching with positive real estate I don't want to get this wrong. I've been 15 <laughs> years. I think she's maybe 14 or 13 years. She must be. She's a couple of years after myself, um, but she's been with us a long time. So she's got, you know, you're in safe hands. She's got lots of experience um, in this space. So um, she'll be wrapped to hear that. Yep. No, I've heard, I've heard her story a couple of times. So, uh, you know, <laughs> in the, uh, the, you know, the, our first interactions with PRE were, were, were her, so I went along to invest a night and listened to her story and, and thought, wow, you know, the, 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 you, I've, I've been through no drama compared to what uh, she'd been through. And, um, uh, and then so I dragged my wife along as well and, and you know, to listen to it again, um, just to get a second dose. But, um, yeah. No, she's a, she's a live wire. Alrighty, well, thank you so much. And um, we'll wrap it up there and uh, I'll make sure that Carolyn uh, gets the thank you. She'll, uh, she'll be wrapped. That's awesome. Thanks so much, Andrew. Bye for no, now. Thanks, Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to Property Investor Tales. Remember to subscribe so you get notified every time a new episode drops. As you can guess, I love hearing people's property investor tales. So if you'd like to share yours, then please get in touch with me via email at propertyinvestortales at positivementor.com.au. We would also love your feedback and I would appreciate a five-star review over on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Remember, you can watch all of these podcasts over on YouTube at Positive Mentor or at positivementor.com.au. Until then, take care, happy investing, and bye for now.